It's the top five. Take it away, Sam Hauser. It's time for the Hinkle Law Office's Top 5. Hinkle Law Office is representing motorcycle riders across New Mexico since 1990. Visit HinkleLawOffices.com. Take it away, Sam Hauser. I don't know, I feel like the Dodgers, maybe they'd rather go to Seattle than have to make that treacherous drive to Anaheim in rush hour traffic. <laughs> no, they, they, uh, they've got it all figured out. They... They live out there, and they know uh, how to navigate that freeway system, and more than likely, they're just all going to leave like really early, like 10 or 11 in the morning to make sure uh, they're in Anaheim ready for that game tonight, 7 o'clock Pacific time, 8 o'clock here in the Mountain Time Zone. All right, what else is going on, Sammy? All right, starting with who is in a late edition. Shout out to Mario Mocha for this one, the athletic director at New Mexico State. I'm sure we've talked about this before, but it was a reminder for myself and I'm sure others as well that New Mexico State has its own version of Bobby Bonilla Day, and that day has come today, except it's Hal Mummy Day. Another No way. They've been paying Hal Mummy this whole time? And still four more years to go for Hal Mummy. $195,000 left. Oh, my gosh. Uh, he's chipping away at it. Hal Mummy seems like he's been... Uh, does it say when his last year coaching New Mexico State was? I mean, when Hal Mummy got there, he was part of that whole air raid uh, group of guys. You know, he was connected to Mike Leach and... Uh, he was at Kentucky and all these other things where these guys started throwing the football all over the field. What was the last year he was at New Mexico State, Sam? 2008. 2008, so 15 years ago, and Hal Mummy was still getting paid to this point. Interesting. And, and the still reason, four more years to go. And four more years to go. Uh Good for him and his agent. And why don't you inform people what Bobby Bonilla Day is all about? Because I, I remember... Bobby Bonilla very well, but a lot of people might not, Sam. So if you think 2008 was a long time ago, it's been much longer than 2008 since Bobby Bonilla stopped playing uh, stopped playing baseball. For the Mets. For the Mets. And in that contract, he set it up to where it would be deferred payments, so he wasn't making as much while he was playing. But to this day, and for still several more years to come as well, he is also getting these yearly installments. Yeah, it's uh, yeah they it's become a joke because you know the first couple of years it's like he's still getting paid, and then when it became like known how many more years he still got to pay, they started celebrating with a Bobby Benia day. Oh yeah, when Steve Cohen bought the Mets. The first time it came around, or one of the times recently, he wanted to actually bring Bobby Bonilla to City Field and have it be a whole celebration. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what are you going to do? If you can't beat him, join him. What else is going on, Sam? All right, well, staying with baseball, we're into the final third of the month of June now, so the sample size grows, and so does the production for Luisa Rise, the infielder of the Miami Marlins. He reached that noteworthy mark of a 400 batting average last night. Third time this month, he's gone five for five in a game. It was a drubbing of the Blue Jays. So we're hit, we're sitting here now at the end of June. It's the 20th, and Luis Arise with a 400 batting average. This is the deepest into a baseball season that a batter has been hitting 400 since Chipper Jones in 2008. <laughs> well, I mean, 
I still pay attention to batting averages and home runs and ribbies, and I, I think I'm like the only one out there anymore. Like when when somebody's talking about a player, first thing I I say is what are they hitting, and nowadays you say that, and a lot of times you're disappointed when you hear they're hitting 250 or 240. Like Max Muncy's the best example right. of that. He's probably on pace to be an All Star, and he's hitting I think 228. The question now is, what's his babip? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, and all these other things that are they're mashed together with uh, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, and all those kind of things. I still love the batting average. I'm I'm so glad they still even show it. Uh, but you know how hard it is to... So he raised his average over 400 because he went 5 for 5, right? Correct. So you pretty much have to, like, you know, those are the kind of games you have to have to stay above 400 uh, because... You're going to have those games where you go one for three or two for five, and the batting, well, two for five would actually be 400. Yeah, you have to do that every night. You know, you go two for six, and your batting average is dropping, okay? So you go one for three in a doubleheader, two for six for the day, normally considered pretty good. Well, your average will drop if you're sitting around the 400 mark. What else there, Sam? So now, next up for Luis Arise. So again, he's uh, deepest into the season since Chipper Jones in 08. And let's remind people, Luis Arise led the American League in batting last year for the Twins. Correct. He barely nudged out Aaron Judge, or Aaron Judge would have won the highly uh, difficult Triple Crown Award, right? Correct. Yeah, it came down to the very end of the season, and... Aaron Judge was getting a bunch of intentional walks because he was hitting home runs, so that kind of played into it as well. Luis Arise wins by a couple fractions of a thousandth of a point. It was Luis Arise versus All Rise with Aaron Judge, and now he's in the National League. And he now is in the National League uh, having more success than he did in the American League. I got to ask you this, like, um, people are driving around. How in the heck did the Twins not keep Luis Arise on their team when he led the league in batting i mean because it's a loser franchise okay good enough well, uh, all right so what else about this 400 thing all right so next up on the list for Luis arise if he keeps this up one more night next on the list would be going all the way back to the turn of our century no more garcia para in 2000 got 91 games into the season if we want to keep going back 97 with the rockies larry walker made it 96 games 1993, those legendary Blue Jays teams, John Olerud made it 107 games. John Olerud, the one that used to wear a batting helmet at first base, by the way. Uh, Yeah, gosh, seeing these names. First of all, Larry Walker in Colorado. There was, like, everybody was smashing every offensive category there was. You know, it it was so tainted, like, your numbers there back in those days. And and they've done things with the humidor to to equalize things to some degree. It still is, I think, the highest scoring ballpark in the league. But, like, Dante Pichette, Bo Bichette's dad, was hitting bombs. I'm forgetting uh, their first baseman. uh, Oh, my gosh. Uh, I think there's he's arguably a... um, a Hall of Famer. Uh, he played quarterback at Tennessee, uh, and he was the first baseman, and he had big numbers. And Sam is going to go ahead and, and uh, just look at the most home runs in Colorado Rockies history, and you'll get it. Oh, we're doing the nine. Oh, we're doing the Rockies. Excuse yes, me. Was, no Rockies. Yeah, I'm trying to think of this. The lineup they had. You know, they had Bichette. Uh, they had um, man. Uh, 
First baseman Andres Galarraga. Oh, Galarraga though was not the guy I'm ta- I'm thinking of. Galarraga came in a trade from I believe the Braves. Okay, so we had Larry Walker hit 49 that year. Galarraga hit 41. Vinny Castilla hit. Vinny 40. Castilla, third baseman. Of course, how can you forget him? There you go. Yeah, Vinny Castilla with 40. So again, uh, if we want to keep going further back, you were right on track with this one. Outside of Ted Williams, next on the list. At 134 games is George Brett. I told you, anytime I hear about 400, I think of George Brett of the Kansas City Royals. When you think of George Brett of the Kansas City Royals, I think you, of think pint of, you think of the guy that came out of his dugout in a rage yeah. when they were playing at Yankee Stadium and he got called out because they measured how high on the batting handle this Pintar went. It was a, 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 a fraction of an inch or whatever uh, too high. Billy Martin had actually asked the umpire to measure it. And it, uh, chaos there in... Uh, in, um, in, uh, in in Kansas City in, in Yankee Stadium, but it's a great. It's always you know the great story with Ted Williams. Okay, who is the last guy to hit four hundred? The last guy to hit four hundred in a season. Four oh six. Four oh six in nineteen forty one. Last game of the season. It's a doubleheader in Philadelphia. Today in baseball, that person would not play. They so Williams even, went into that double that last game of the season at four hundred. At four hundred. Okay. In today's so ba- he laid out instead. Nope. It, well, if, what? If it was today's baseball, they wouldn't even drive to the stadium. They would tell him to stay home. <laughs> it was a doubleheader. He plays both games and goes six for eight to get it up to four oh six. That is such a, a great story, and that's why when the All Star Game was in Boston, not. Too, too, too long ago, and uh, they had Ted Williams there. Every player on both teams just could not uh, get enough at Ted Williams. He, he's uh, a legend for not only that, but here's a guy who um, sat out uh, 1943, 1944, 1945 because he got drafted. He was in World War II, and so he missed three years, obviously, at the height of his career. But he came back in 1946 and won American League MVP. There you go. The great Ted Williams, and uh, Luis Arise is, is chasing that uh, that 400 mark. What else is going on, Sammy? All right, moving on with who is in. It's the growing sports hub that is Birmingham, Alabama. We got this exciting news earlier. Dominique Wilkins, one of the legends of the NBA, Hall of Famer, the human highlight reel. That's what they call him, right? The human highlight reel. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. Dominique Wilkins. Well, now he's getting into ownership in USL Championship League. Dominique Wilkins investing in Birmingham Legion of USL Championship League, and he was on first take this morning and and talked about it. Well, you know, I've spent a lot of time in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, with our charity, Culture City, that deals with sensory needs and being sensory inclusive, you know, around the world. So I've built that personality there. Now you have a soccer team in the Legion there that's been the only professional team that's been there longer than five years. And not only that, they're winning. So ultimate goal is, of course, is to win, but it's also building those bridges and the birthplace of civil rights continue to to bring the communities together because soccer is a sport that everybody plays. And so it's a great opportunity not just to be a part of the soccer team, but to build those relationships with so there you go. Next time New Mexico United plays Birmingham Legion, we can reach out and see if we can get Dominique on the show. Everybody's trying to get a piece of this soccer thing, yeah. Sam. Uh, how much was the new franchise for the MLS in San Diego? The the Just the franchise fee was a half a billion dollars. A half a billion dollars, okay. We had Peter Trevisani talking about the price of what USL teams are going for. Yeah. Somewhere in the vicinity of $25 million. Right. And Peter said... 
they were able to to get in. This was like only four or five years ago. Five years ago at five million. Right. Okay. So it, this is just a microcosm of the 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 professional sport of soccer and the interest level and the value of these teams that not only the USL but I just told you about the MLS and uh, it doesn't surprise me. Colin Cowherd. Uh, tried to get in t- on an MLS team. I mean, uh, a lot of people are trying to get into the mix on this, Sammy. What else is going on? All right, moving on to who is out. The Buffalo Bills currently facing a math problem as they're back in the news again. This story not about Stephon Diggs, but about the math not adding up because the Buffalo Bills are getting ready to move into a new stadium in Orchard Park, which, by the way, they only got because the Pagulas in that entertainment group threatened to take their ball and go somewhere else if they didn't get... $850 million in public funding, which they got. New stadium's going to hold about 60,000 people. Right now, the Bills have 63,000 season ticket holders. That's a problem. That's a problem. Well, it, it's actually a good problem to have. I mean, it's, it's kind of a squirrely situation. But when you've got that kind of demand on tickets, isn't that a good thing? And you got to figure out how to manage it. How, how are the Bills going to manage it? That's what they're going to have to figure out now. Nobody, we, uh, They're still at the point right now where uh, they're going to be calling their old season ticket holders soon to see if they want to renew, and they're going to cross their fingers and hope that 3,000 people say no. Yeah, and <laughs> that's what that's it's a lot like, of people that are going to like. That's I the mean, sense I that I get the plan is. I, could, I mean, I could see a few people saying, oh, well, you know, that happens, and hopefully down the road, but the vast majority of them are going to be ticked off, Sam. Yeah. Yeah, that's I I, I I shudder for those poor uh, those poor people. Just remember, <laughs> just remember, they're, the they're pe- gonna have like you know, entry level people in the ticket office or interns. Just remember, it. the people that are on the phone, it's not their decision. It's not their fault. <laughs> the way I would, if I was one of those people, I would say, don't blame the messenger. Uh, but uh, Mister Hauser, uh, you're, you know how you thought you were gonna have season tickets to the Bills next year. You're not going to have them, okay? Uh, so don't I, blame me. I would have it on speakerphone, so as soon as I gave them that line about the season tickets, I could run away while they're <laughs> yelling and and come back after they hang up. You would go underneath your desk. That's that's not your kind of scene making those kind of calls, is it, Sam? No. Okay, what's number four, man? Four. 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 Hey, real quick, before my phone completely blows up, the guy I was thinking about... Uh, for Colorado, you mentioned Galarraga was part of that team in that particular year. Yes, uh, Todd Helton is uh, the guy I was thinking of about. Course. Okay, five-time All-Star. Uh, he holds the Rocky uh, the Rockies club records for hits, home runs, doubles, walks, runs scored, runs batted in, and total bases. So uh, that's why I was like, I can't believe I can't remember that guy's name. Well, you only Todd had, Helton. You only plus, he was a quarterback at Tennessee. There you go. He only had five that year, though. He must have been beat up. I don't know what's going on. All right, let's get back to number four. You're talking about the Ve- Vegas isn't sold on the impact the Suns are getting out of a Bradley Beal. What do you mean? Yeah, what are Ve- you talking about? Vegas not sold on this whole Bradley Beal trade to Phoenix as far as what it's doing to their title hopes because before the trade, the Suns had the fourth lowest odds to win the championship next year. After the trade, they still have the fourth lowest odds to win the championship next year behind Milwaukee, Boston, and Denver, who's the favorite to repeat. The only change 
was the number went from plus eight fifty to plus six fifty, and that's a significant. So we're, they're one of the they, before the trade, they were one of the top four favorites to that's win correct. the NBA championship, and now they're still number four, and they're still at number four. Uh, and but the money you get back if you take the Suns uh, for say. Uh, Ten dollars, you know, you would have gotten back eighty-five. Now you take ten dollars on the Suns to win the NBA championship. You still get back six fifty. But the point is that they're still lagging behind the Nuggets, the Celtics, and the Bucks. Not necessarily in that order. And the Celtics is just is just silly and stubborn at this point. They're we're going to get. What do you to, mean? We're Dude, get they to, made it to the. Uh, Eastern Conference Finals. We're going to get to some stories over the course of the show about you know what teams are trying to do, maybe trade-wise, before the NBA draft on Thursday. The Celtics are shopping a few different guys at this point, Grant. I mean, they're, they're, they're depth players. They're not shopping Jalen Brown yet, but the Celtics are not exactly... You know, they're, uh, they're not world beaters. Hey, the coach of the Celtics, remind me of his name. I, Joe Missoula. Joe Missoula, by the way, is, is being mentioned. They have a list of 10 guys to uh, replace Bobby Huggins at West Virginia. Is he on there? He's on there. There you go. Yeah, I mean, heck, so they may lose their coach. I doubt it. I think he's going to stay in, stay in Beantown. All right, what's number three, Sammy? Three. All right, well, the slogan for the Masters, the golf tournament that happens every year, the Masters at Augusta, the slogan is a tradition unlike any other. Other sports entities try to use it to try to borrow it, but there is only one that fits the bill of a tradition unlike any other, and it's going on now in Omaha, Nebraska at the Men's College World Series. It's the Jello Shot Challenge at a local sports bar called Rocco's there in Omaha, and LSU might have a long way to go on the field for winning the World Series, but the rest of the College World Series has a lot of work to do to catch up to them after somebody bought... 21,000 jello shots representing LSU. Yeah, LSU, when it comes to contests like that, they're never going to take the backseat to anybody. Apparently, it set a Guinness World Record. Yeah. And here's my question to you Are jello shots still uh, a big deal? I mean, years ago, you, people were taking jello shots out of people's belly button. When I worked at the Sportsplex, Mike Foote, the, the great Mike Foote that runs the Albuquerque Baseball Academy and you know players like Alex Bregman came through that. Well, Footy used to run the Sportsplex, and I know a lot of people out there played a lot of softball out at the Sportsplex. They sold a lot of jello shots out there because during the games, the waitresses would come through the dugouts trying to sell de- jello shots. I mean, so... Uh, not only did you, you know, there were some people that called the Sportsplex a bar with bases because nice. everybody was just having a fun time out there, okay? Slow-pitch softball, uh, jello shots in the dugout. I tried to sell chicken wings on the on the patio one year on the 4th of July weekend, uh, and that was a whole other story I'll tell you some other time. What's number two, Sammy? Two. Well, now I kind of want number two to be that story, but we'll save that for another day. There's a clip going around of Nick Saban. Well, I'll just tell you, I sold these. I was selling, you know, Buffalo Wings at that time. We're talking like 1987. Sure. We're just kind of coming on. They're not this phenomenon where there's wing stops and wild wings. And um, I I really said this thing because there was a guy in my fraternity from Buffalo. Uh, his name was Mo. Mo from Buffalo. His go. name had to be Mo. And so he did that for... Uh, our Super Bowl party in 1986 uh, when the Bears were playing the Patriots. And I was like, these things are amazing. These things are going to catch on. So I, I pitched the idea to Mike Foote to sell them. 
Well, the problem is on July 4th weekend, it's probably about 103 degrees on the patio out there, and people are drinking pitchers of beer. So the grease from one of the big pots, we, oh, no. we didn't know where you know to get rid of it. Oh, no. And somebody, you know, part of I had like two other idiots like me that were doing it. Well, one guy took it and he poured it, you know, somewhere like off to the side. Well, he almost started a fire oh, and no. burned down the sports plaque. Thank God he didn't. Thank God for the fire extinguishers. And we got out of that weekend alive. And I made about twenty six bucks and worked about eighteen hours. All right, what is number two, Sammy? That's way better than what I had for number two. Okay, let's go to number one. We'll just skip that. That's way better than what I had anyway. Well, the NFL is making it even harder now for players to say that they didn't know the rules when it comes to gambling as an active NFL player or employee. After all the suspensions that went on about a month or so ago, the NFL up and up up in the rules to now the point where all rookies will now be required to attend a mandatory education education session and a group of league officials making in-person visits to team facilities to emphasize about gambling i assume those uh, those education sessions were mandatory for rookies anyway but apparently not and now they are and the nfl also putting out six key rules of the gambling and these policy are pretty simple yes. okay i'm not a smart guy but give me these six rules and i think i could get it go ahead don't bet on the NFL. Okay. Don't gamble at your team facility while traveling for a road game or staying at a hotel. Don't have someone bet for you. Don't share team. That means don't have a fall guy. Right. Don't have you know. Don't go send somebody off to uh, stand in line at a book somewhere. Don't share team inside information and tell people that hey he's questionable but he's really out. That's right. Don't enter a sports book during the NFL playing season and don't play daily fantasy football. The last thing there, I mean, I know there's fantasy football leagues that have decent amount of cake involved, but, I mean, uh, the other ones are the ones that you really have to pay attention to. All right, that's your Top 5 at 5 with Sam Hauser. Thank you, Sam. That's tonight's Hinkle Law Offices Top 5. Hinkle Law Offices representing motorcycle riders across New Mexico since 1990. Visit com. All right, uh, an emerging story for us Mountain West fans. Uh, coming up next, did San Diego State hang themselves out to dry? We're going to go to San Diego and get the latest from Mark Ziegler with the San Diego Union Tribune. He'll join us next and give us the very latest on the status of San Diego State in the Mountain West and all these other conferences that apparently are interested in San Diego State. We'll have that next.